Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale September 22nd, 2021. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. I'm Tucker Marcus. It is the last hot day in New York City, fingers crossed, for the year as we record this. Uh, my child is in a hitting mode like mm. she's 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 hitting now which is not good <laughs> i was gonna say like literally just as soon as we started recording i was like R- ryan agent empanagos has that thousand yard stare of a parent of a young child today i can just see it yeah otherwise the child is amazing she turns two in a real soon so it's wonderful but for anybody out there who has had to deal with children hitting um <laughs> Tell me how you do it, oh, man. please, because it's it's a whole lot. Tucker, what's going on with you? Um, not not certainly not uh, as much in comparison. I'm just um, hanging out, um, watching movies, getting ready to come back East Coast pretty soon. Um, be headed back that way in in a few weeks. I just watched Michael Mann's The Insider, uh, mm-hmm. 1999. Um, absolutely lost my mind. Uh, people yelling and giving me goosebumps. I just loved it. Uh, so anyway. Oh, I, you know, we had talked about recently wanting to give shout outs to comic shops. We had one from Tommy over on Twitter, Tommy Grooms at T Grooms Draws, who uh, asked us to shout out Comic Carnival. And uh, it's at Comic Carnival. They are in Indianapolis, Indiana. They are the Midwest's oldest comic store which is pretty dang cool. They got a really cool facade on their building, which I see in the picture there. Um, So shout out to the Comic Carnival. Find yourself in Indianapolis, Indiana, for whatever reason. I think of a football team. Yep. Colts? Is that right? That sounds right. Yeah, Yeah, I did it. Great job, (laughs) me. Um, But now, even better, Comic Carnival. So go check them out. Awesome. But uh, keep sending those in. You can tag uh, Tucker Marcus and um, me, Agent M, to uh, to shout out your local comic shops. I want to give one to New York Hardcore Comics in Dobbs Ferry, New York, which I said this on This Week in Marvel recently. Uh, it's so funny because Dobbs Ferry is like this fancy Westchester neighborhood <laughs> with like rich homes and whatnot. But then you have a, a really awesome shop called New York Hardcore Comics where you step in and it's like... I felt like I was home. Oh. One of the owners was there. His name is Lee. He's great. He's like, ah, we speak the same language. And he pointed to his black flag tattoo and my black flag tattoo. And we were like, yep. Uh, and it was really great. It's a great shop. So go check that out if you find yourself in fancy parts of Westchester County, New York. Um, and then, yeah, keep sending us your favorite comic book shops because we want to shout them out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, those those are always good. Are you going to have one when you go back to, uh, to Jersey? Um, yeah, well, when I head back, there are, um, a few in, uh, in Queens that I go to, I'll I'll make sure to have my, my, my definitive list. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like I've said, while I've been here in, in sunny Southern California, the comic bug here in LA has been, uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful place to me. And, uh, yeah, look forward to getting back to, to my LCS in, in New York and, and then to come back here again. Heck yeah. Um, we have a lot to get through because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about all the new comics on sale this week, as well as giving our picks of the week, giving out some awards for some great comics. We'll tell you about what's on Marvel Unlimited and the new, uh, trades and collections out. And also we're going to have a great reading club. And who is our guest this week? Tucker. This week, our guest is one of the best around, uh, Jason Concepcion, uh, who you might know from a million different excellent podcasts. Um, uh, some of them his own and others where he's guested and brought uh, so much uh, fun all around the podcast landscape. We're talking, most importantly, about ecstatics. What a great conversation. What a great book. Um, It's one of those that I feel like if you haven't read that series, it's immediately on your must read, uh, in my opinion. Just give it a shot and then and listen to our conversation with Jason. Yeah. All right. It is now time to get to our picks of the week. First up is Guardians of the Galaxy number 18. This is a big one and it's a big ending, not just for the uh, epic crossover event, The Last Annihilation, but also 
for this run of Guardians. This is the the big sweeping epic finale, and they they go out in just fantastic fashion. Uh, it is brought to us by Al Ewing on script one for Gary on art, Federico Blee on colors, and VCs Corey Pettit doing the letters. We've picked a lot of the last Annihilation books uh, over the last month and a half, two months, however long the event's been going on for, and with good reason. It's a giant space cosmic Marvel superhero epic. It's got like incredibly dangerous, potentially universe-destroying villains. It's got great heroic moments. It's got sweet and tender bits. It's got sacrifices. It's got machinations. It's got things that set up the future of the Marvel Universe and so much more. I also feel like people are kind of sleeping on it, which that's just my own personal thought. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think this is one of those books that people are going to be talking about for a long time just because it's so damn good. Uh, you have Dormammu, the, the the sort of ruler of the dark dimension, has found a way to come through into our dimension and has decided to use magic to take over the uh, body of Ego the Living Planet and to try to use magic to um, subvert everything. And it takes a massive team of guardians alongside multiple alien races and the mutants of Krakoa and everybody to, to stop them. And they do it the only way they know how and create a giant friggin' gun, turn uh, Nova Rich Rider into a mechanism that fires a bullet, use magic, use the power of love, and so much more to to try to stop it. Um, Doctor Doom plays an enormous part in this. There was um there was a conversation I had on Twitter not too long ago. Someone had mentioned to me about I had said it either here on Pull List or on This Week in Marvel of like Dr. Doom is the greatest hero of all time. Um, the end. Go away. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> um, obviously, it's a more complicated thing, but he has saved the universe multiple times, even in Secret Wars, when he remade the universe in his in the way he wanted it. He was the only reason reality continued to exist. He pulled everything together. He worked hard to make sure we could have food on the table he's our daddy <laughs> dr doom is everybody's daddy and he's the best um and in here he also once again helps save the universe i love dr doom so much he's a, he's a crucial part of this there's some things in here with him at the end that i was like oh man and there's a word that he speaks that i think people will, will really pick up on uh because i know i sure did and this is one of my favorite runs of guardians comics ever i really really dug obviously what started the big cosmic brouhaha the guardians coming out of annihilation and annihilation conquest um and and many subsequent runs but this is really high up there it's beautiful and it's sweet and it's creepy and um there's a lot for us to dig into in the future definitely agreed so much great stuff there uh and so much great stuff arriving this week in my pick Death of Doctor Strange number one. Uh, it is written by Jed McKay with art by Lee Garbett, colors by Antonio Fabello, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Um, how how many times do we find ourselves singing the praises of Jed McKay? It really feels like everything he touches uh, turns to gold. He's such a talent, um, and really for me this. This first issue, and then certainly looking forward to what's yet to come in this series, um, this is like one of the most notable achievements, I think, of uh, Jed's work at the House of Ideas so far, um, because it really feels different. It feels like uh, a different kind of story. It feels like something that we haven't seen too much of Jed do before, um, because when I think of Jed McKay, I think of something even like... Um, I think obviously I think of Black Cat. I think of something like uh, Taskmaster. I think of Daughters of the Dragon. I think of these stories that are really light on their feet that have a little bit of darkness to them, but that are ultimately like fast paced thriller, high octane action, really, really fun stories. Now, that sort of storytelling is most definitely present in issue number one of Death Road Doctor Strange, but this is a much more character focused story it's a much more uh emotional story really um and again not to say that these sort of facets haven't existed previously in his work but it really feels like he's committing to telling a dramatic 
story here. And, and ultimately, I think the pacing of this one feels differently. And that's what really stood out to me as a huge fan of Jed McKay, is that the pacing of this one felt a little bit more slower, not in a way that's like in any bad way, but in a way that's entirely deliberate, in a way that is actually a slow march towards the death knell that we know is coming for this character. Now, if that isn't enough to convince you to pick this issue up, then may I uh, make mention of maybe the true star of this series, which is Bats, the ghost dog. Just incredible, so good. It almost feels like cheating. It really does, where it's like, it's so good. The way that Bats is is brought to life by Lee is just incredible. And it's one of those things where it's like, I, I don't stand a chance. I do not stand a chance when it comes to a dramatic <laughs> story with Bats in it. And uh, that's really a testament to the way that Jed writes the character. I love it so much. There's some great scenes between Steven and uh, Bats. So great, great start here. And... To wrap it all up, what else did I expect? It's Jed and Lee. They're killing it. Yeah. So good. Uh, you made mention of Bats, which made me think of a Infinity comic we'll talk about briefly a little bit later. It's Jeff. <laughs> um, and I have a new idea for whenever It's Jeff finishes Bats and Jeff. Oh, come on. You would Bats break the industry. You'd break like Marvel Unlimited could not handle it. My pitch is... <laughs> Jeff gets dropped off at Doctor Strange to for some whatever reason. And uh, Doctor Strange has to run out. Wong is is predisposed. The only one there who can hang out with Jeff is Bats, the ghost dog. So you get a ghost dog and Jeff the land shark getting into hijinks and fun stuff. And they go through portals and beat up <laughs> Shimogarath and all kinds of amazing adventures. When you say that, I immediately realize that in my head, Bats is basically Walter Matthau. Um, and it's like Walter Matthau with like an excitable toddler. Like that is the, exactly like, and he's I mean, trying to corral yeah. Jeff. Like, come on. Yeah. God. <laughs> I may have already sent this to Stephen Wacker in charge of Infinity Comics, and we'll see what happens in the future. But if it does come to light, you heard it here first, dear listeners. Yeah. Um, all right. We have one more big pick of the week, and it is X-Men Onslaught Revelation number one. This is this is a doozy. It's written by Cy Spurrier, art by Bob Quinn, colors by Java Tartaglia, and letters by BC's Clayton Cowles. This is... Sort of the um, Nakoda to the Way of X series. It is, it just feels like the big capper to a, a whole feeling around the X books. Um, and I think that's a big thing about this issue. It's a lot about feelings and emotions and mental well being in a lot of ways, all, alongside giant catastrophic punching and, and, and psychic terrors, because this is all about the return of the of the onslaught entity it has been feeding off of mutants little by little it has been unleashed secretly you'll find out here how it was unleashed and why it was unleashed upon mutant kind if you don't know what onslaught is uh, onslaught was sort of created from uh bits of charles xavier bits of magneto and just all kinds of psychic nastiness and that caused uh, a whole lot of stuff to go really, really wrong back in the 90s, but it's a terrifying force in in mutant kind, and it's been up to Nightcrawler and Legion, the son of Professor Xavier, to figure out what's going on, to try to fight it, and they put through their plans here. There's a million really incredible ideas in here executed very, very spectacularly uh, throughout all this, and I can't wait to see what is coming soon. Awesome. Uh, now we're looking towards all the fresh floppies headed your way this week, and we're kicking it off with Alien number seven, to which I will bestow the Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange Memorial Award this week because there is, as usual, so much really cool stuff in this Alien series. In particular, I really love the way that they've been playing with the aesthetics of what we expect an alien book to be or what we expect an alien story to look like. I really like the fact that they're pushing those boundaries. It's, it's not just what we've seen before. It's not just locations and ships and places that we've encountered before. Um, and when you get something like 
uh, a xenomorph in an unexpected landscape in a place that you don't really associate with that sort of creature, it's all the more terrifying. It's all the more interesting. There's a variant cover for this issue um, uh, by Giuseppe Camicoli where there's a xenomorph like crawling over a barn. Like uh, it's just so cool. It looks great. And oh my God, does the terrifying stuff come through in this issue? It does not hold back. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that last, page yeah. as well Woo. <laughs> it's real good uh all right we've got fantastic four number 36 out this week uh and this one is a very johnny storm focused issue um it's really trying to figure out his uh, what's going on with him he cannot flame down because he got involved with dr doom and dr doom was like yeah all right son let's deal with this and he got doomed and so now <laughs> Uh, Johnny Storm cannot take down his flame. He gets hotter and hotter, and he is—he's um, causing a lot of stress and a lot of pain to a lot of people. Uh, that is sort of his torment and his punishment for what he's done. I will read you a line in here where Ben Grimm is like, "Johnny's taking it like a champ. The kid took some pretty big hits today, and he ain't cried once." And Reed says, I'm sorry, Ben, but there's a reason for that. He physically can't produce teardrops. As long as he stays a human torch, Johnny Storm doesn't get to cry. Which I feel like Dan Slott should have like been dribbling a basketball at that point and done like a Michael Jordan slam dunk because <laughs> it feels so classic Marvel. Like he just crushed it. It was really good. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, a whopper of an issue. I will give my Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange a memorial award to uh, that little bit of dialogue right there in Fantastic Four 36. Nice. Uh, next up, we have Gamma Flight number four, which continues to be a book unlike any other. There's obviously some incredibly idiosyncratic stuff to Immortal Hulk, which is sort of uh, the grandpappy to this series. Um, but I really love the way that we get to focus in super closely on some strange horror elements, but also like creepy mystery stuff, I guess. And hey, speaking of not holding back, oh my God, does this book not hold back? I think Land Medina really, really crushes the art, really crushes those terrifying horror moments in here uh, that have become so signature to this entire sort of corner of the Marvel Universe. I think it's really excellent stuff. This is the penultimate issue. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, the D S V S M A for me goes to land. Great stuff here. All right. We've got moon Knight number three and our producer Jasmine was surprised. We did not pick this because I think we picked the first two issues and look, it was close. Yeah. Fair great. enough. It's, it's friggin' terrific. It opens with, with moon Knight on his therapist couch, uh, with his like legs crossed and his arms folded on his chest saying, I have an enemy, which to me, I want that as a meme, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like yeah. that image on the left and then like a picture of Tucker on the right. Yeah, that's so like, good. I'll post that up or whatever. <laughs> Actually, at this point, I'm going to post a picture of Stephen Wacker on the right. Um, he's my enemy. Uh, and so you have uh, that's just the opening salvo. But really, the, the meme potatoes here is Moon Knight really figuring out who his enemy is, what his enemy's connection is to Moon Knight's own power. You get a big knockdown drag out fight that has some of my favorite bits of dialogue. I, I won't tell you what it is, but uh, my Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange Memorial Award goes to the final bits of dialogue that Moon Knight yells at his enemy in this. And it was just like almost felt like you'd 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 hear it in a Tarantino film. Mm. It, was, it was rad. Uh, next up, we have Reptile number four, which is the finale of this series, and it's been a really fun one. I, I've really enjoyed getting to know this character personally for the first time, but also to see this character brought back as a significant player in the Marvel Universe at this point. And I'm excited to see where he goes after this. And if you pick up the issue, you might get a little bit of hint at that. And it's a really thoughtful issue. Um, and it's an issue that I think really solidifies Umberto's place in the Marvel Universe in an in-world way and in a in our world way in terms of what kind of book 
Reptile is, what kind of character Umberto is, and so much of that kind of thing. So my uh, Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange Memorial Award goes to uh, the title character Umberto Lopez here, uh, one that I've really enjoyed getting to know in new ways over these four issues and continue to be excited about moving forward. All right, we have Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 16 this week. Uh, we got more, you know, you mentioned him already, Giuseppe Camancoli is one of my all-time favorites. Glad to see him doing more work again. Um, he did some amazing stuff in the Star Wars universe. He has a great cover here on Bounty Hunters number 16. Uh, but my Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange Memorial Award goes to Dengar and Valens. Teaming up once again, doing their thing, trying to go up against some some no-goodniks. There's also all kinds of Crimson Dawn stuff that are starting to come into focus, like the, the plans and the problems that arise as uh, that crew comes back from the deadish kind of um but yeah i i love seeing valance and dengar together um quipping and nearly killing each other and just being malcontents uh towards one another nice next up we have symbiote spider-man crossroads number three um boy oh boy if you're looking for some monster action this week this is where i'm pointing you towards um not only do we have that kind of stuff coming your way in Alien, but we have a bunch of it here um, in the ongoing Weird Tales brought to you by Peter David and Greg Land, who have been such an incredible collaboration um, over the course of these Symbiote Spider-Man series that we've had. In this issue, we get the likes of Devil Dinosaur, and we also get Moon Boy, which is always a delight. And then from there, it just becomes this terrifying disgusting monster throwdown that i think is so good and really absolutely incredible to look at so my uh dr stephen vincent strange memorial award goes to greg land on this one because i don't i just do not know how you do that i don't know how you take something that is so so unreal and make it feel so real yeah um also the hulk thing that's in this issue which is explained mm-hmm. in the letters pages Ooh, that's a that's a weird one i didn't even know about <laughs> that one it was wild um all right we've got united states of captain america number four this week and um you've got a whole bunch of caps really uniting together to try to figure out who the hell stole steve's shield and why and you get a lot of answers in this issue actually it's as everything is starting starting to come together and we're seeing um the bad guys play their hands but there's still much more to go. We do get to see uh, U.S. Agent mix it up alongside Bucky and Sam and Steve and some of the new younger Captains America in here, uh, including the one introduced in this issue, Ariel Agbayani, who is terrific. She is the campus Captain America. Next up, we have X-Corp number five, uh, which has been a really interesting series, I think, occupying such a specific place in the Krakoan age of the X-Men. It's been so cool to see something like X-Men, which we'll cover next, uh, which inherently has these cosmic um, ramifications, which is really looking about the at the expansive realm of the mutants right now. Um, and then you have a book like X-Corp, which is really awesome in that it occupies such a practical angle. It, ac- it occupies the Krakoan relationship with the rest of the world, um, and specifically with a business perspective. Now, Having all of that and having Jamie Madrox be such a central part to this story is something that I just absolutely adore. That is a character that I love. That is a character that I'll never, ever, ever get enough of. And this issue not only gives us uh, plenty of Jamie, but uh, there's a bunch of big moves made here. I also have to mention, though, um, especially with ecstatics on the brain this week, I want to give my Strange Memorial Award to the Allrets, who have a gorgeous variant cover that's michael and laura all red so great stuff as always in x corp yeah all right we've got more x books to talk about with x-men number three and this one is a uh, a whopper as the x-men go face to face with the high evolutionary and you get to see rogue just unleash on old herbert windham basically saying he can take a punch like a hulk don't hold back and it's just you get to see the x-men not hold back and even then it's still a pretty rough battle for all of them uh it's a lot of fun it's gorgeously rendered by pepe laraz and marte gracia i mean it's stunning this book is stunning to look at but i will give my 
Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange Memorial Award to the final beats in this issue, which are the sort of rain-soaked conversation that happens between two characters that feels really important to the future of mutant kind. And we'll see where that goes. All right. Um, I'm wrapping it up this week with X-Men Legends number seven. Oh, man. Get out of the way, everybody. Are you kidding me? We have Larry Hama's return to Wolverine in this issue. And literally panel two, page one, where we see Weapon X standing outside in the rain in Osaka, Japan with Jubilee uh, at his side. I'm instantly on board. I'm literally, if, if I didn't know anything about this and I saw that, flipped open page one in my local comic shop, saw those two together, I'm buying it because that is one of the great relationships in all of Marvel Comics um, and seeing where that goes, not least the fact that it's brought to you by Larry Hama. Um, the mission they're on is very specific. It's really intense. It's really dramatic. And I think... It's so perfect for Wolverine, side note, as you would expect with with Larry Hama writing it, because it's just one of those things that is just meant to cut to the core of that character, and it's meant to set him on fire, and it's meant to make him go crazy, and to see him do that, but to see him be penned in, to see him with so much at stake here, it's a recipe for magic. I mean, it's really, really perfect setup and a perfect execution, one of those that I absolutely could have made pick of the week, um, because it's just got so much loaded into it, so excellent. When are we getting Larry on the show? Good God. I have a million questions for that X-Men legend who brought us this issue of X-Men Legends and will bring us the next one as well. Anyway, uh, so my Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange moral award goes to the great Mr. Hama and I pray to the mutant gods that we get to maybe have a conversation with him sometime, anytime soon. I just want to do it once in my life. Anyway, 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 that wraps it up for this week's new Marvel mags. Now we're looking over real quick to new Infinity Comics headed your way. We'll have Venom Carnage Infinity Comic number one on the brand Brand spanking new Marvel Unlimited. So much to love on there. Brand new look, brand new presentation. It's all so good. But of course, you have over 29,000 Marvel comics to pick up and read, as well as these great Infinity comics there, exclusive to Marvel Unlimited. Also coming this week is Captain America Infinity comic number four. It's Jeff. Five giant size little marvels. Five, so much good stuff. Uh, really, really coming out at such an exciting pace. Now we look over towards collections this week. You're in your local comic shop. You're flipping through your phone. You're reading your Infinity comic. Put it down for a sec. Look over towards the collection section because there's excellent stuff, including Daredevil uh, by Chip Zdarsky, Volume Six. That is uh, just another volume of incredible work being done over there. There's Sword by Al Ewing, Volume One. Pick that that up read those issues successively that is one that i think is absolutely primed to be read in collection great stuff to see that all together and we also have x-force volume three by ben percy come on so much good stuff hell yeah and uh rounding us out also on marvel unlimited this week demon days mariko number one we've got a couple of heroes reborn issues as that series starts to wrap up on marvel unlimited and it's and the biggest one of all, I believe, is Planet Size X-Men number one, Hellfire Gala, in full effect on MU. If you are a subscriber, you're getting the good stuff right now, baby. Uh, speaking of good stuff, we have our reading club coming up. Tucker, remind us once again, who are we talking to? This week, we are talking ecstatics with Jason Concepcion of Binge Mode of the new podcast X-Ray Vision. What a fun dude to talk to about one of the most fun comics in recent memory. So let's go check that out right now. All right, folks, sit down, put your helmets on. Uh, Today we're talking to somebody you might know from Take Line, somebody you might know from All Caps NBA, somebody you might know from being one of the best podcast guests around. It's Jason Concepcion. Thank you so much for joining us, man. It is my honor and my personal (laughs) uh, thrill to be invited to the Pull List Podcast. All right. I'm going to pause it right there because... I want everyone to know Jason reached yes. out and said, I want to be on Marvel's pull list. 
And so your invite <laughs> came after your request. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. I forced my way in. I was like, I was, you know, I was looking at the guest list. Many of my uh, friends and colleagues have been on the show. I'm like, man, I got to get on the show. I'm like, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to DM Ryan and be like, please have me on, please. <laughs> and it was a no brainer. That was an instant. I brought it to the team and everybody was like, yes, now we have to figure out what book to talk about on Reading Club. And that's where the real magic started to happen. Did you bring up all the options for us to talk about, Jason? I did. That was that was me. I put a lot of stuff on there. I've been reading Marvel comics for a long time. I guess before we get into, we're talking ecstatics, before we get into that, to go into the Jason timeline, do you remember the first books you were picking up? Do you remember what era we were talking of Marvel comics? What caught your eye the first time around? Well, the first place I started reading comics seriously was in the Philippines. I had gone there on a family trip when I was like eight. And my cousin had like every issue of X-Men, Avengers, Iron Man, the Hulk, all bound up. I'd never seen this before, like uh, like custom-made omnibus editions. He had them all bound in like encyclopedia binding. And, you know, I was over there and it was like culture shock. So here were these like touchstones of like American culture that I could grab onto and I just dove in. So all that stuff was like bronze era, Iron Man, Avengers, X-Men, you know, post giant size X-Men. That was the stuff that I gravitated to immediately was the Chris Claremont era, Dave Cockrum X-Men, eventually John Byrne. And so then when I got back to the States, the first comic that I bought with my very own money was Uncanny X-Men 212 in the middle of the Mutant Massacre. And that was it. I was just, after that, I was hooked. Uh, my big comics were, at that time, so Uncanny, huge, Daredevil, and Avengers. Those were the big ones. So good. Um, so what we're talking about is specifically Ecstatics 1 through 5, but mm -hmm. I think we all want to kind of talk about X-Force that leads into Ecstatics, the Milligan, Allred, Darwin Cook run of this whole thing. And so that really begins, the first issue of that era is X-Force 116 begins, it releases in May of 2001. And so that time period, you've got, I believe, JMS and uh, yeah. Johnny Jr. on Amazing Spider-Man. We've got still like Marvel Knight stuff, like really like going yep. on. Peter David doing some really cool stuff under the radar on Captain Marvel. You're getting the beginnings of Brian Michael Bendis on Daredevil. You're getting some really cool Deadpool stuff. And most importantly, the same month that this comes out is the beginning of Grant Morris and Frank Quitely's X-Men. They are like side by side. X-Force and X-Statics is almost like the accompaniment to new X-Men. Yeah, it was like a mini British invasion, right? With Milligan and X-Force, and they just brought a real vibrancy and creativity that was, at least for me, like really, really so inspiring. So I had been collecting comics all throughout the, you know, up to, I would say, like the mid-90s, and then I kind of checked out when I went to school, and I didn't have a lot of money, so like the spending cash was low. This is the period when I was coming back into it. I was like, oh, what's going on now in Marvel? And of course, it was post like the economic issues, and you had a new management team with Casada and Axel Alonso, and it just seemed like it was a time to be like, let's see what happens. Let's see what's good. Let's bring in all these new people. Let's try stuff. And you mentioned Marvel Knights. Ultimate Universe is popping off at this time. Of course, Bendis was so influential at this time. And I think X-Force was one of those things that it was perfect for that time in my life because I was now an older comics fan. And there's there's a meta quality to what Milligan and Alred were doing here where it's, it's self-referential. It seemed so perfectly of the kind of pop culture era that it was taking place in with this kind of like anxiety about reality television and celebrity and what that would mean. And it was a whole new fresh take on mutants. It felt like a really contemporary take where, yes, they are hated and feared, but also they're like weirdly beloved. They're celebrities. They have agents. 
you know, there's like a lot of talk within the group about, hey, like uh, I need some more exposure. My agent needs to talk to you. Like all these kind of like really interesting conversations that I had never really seen before in the context of a superhero team. And it was just so, so fun. And then incredibly also dark and brutal with a body count that is, I mean, the entire team dies like in the first episode. <laughs> it's nuts. And I can't say enough about both Milligan and Allred, who just are a perfect combo for this subject matter. That transition period is such a fascinating time to me. And I always take the opportunity to plug for listeners the oral history of Marvel Knights that I did. Mm -hmm. One of the most fascinating interviews that I did that's part of the piece is my conversation with Tom Brevoort because he'd been someone who had been there for years already mm -hmm. hearing his perspective, not just on Marvel Knights, but on what Marvel Knights did to all Marvel comics and how Jimmy and Joe changed the vision of things at that period of time was so fascinating to hear. And that is like sort of the broader story there, not just in terms of like, oh, Marvel Knights is this imprint that came out, yada, yada. But then that Joe becomes editor in chief and that Joe's sensibility starts to bleed into the rest of the comics and what those sensibilities are, what the books are that come out of that and everything. It's a really, really, really fascinating era. Yeah, I completely agree. As we were talking, I'm looking at uh, the monthly releases from this point. And then it's like, it's like banger after banger. Like Alias starts like two months after X-Force. Oh, Wolverine Origins starts. We've got Oof. Ultimate starts like seven months later. Yep. Uh, you've got Ultimate Spider-Man is in its first year. Ultimate X-Men is going on. Ultimate yep. Marvel team up. And then if you extend it, like it's clear to me that a lot of that energy of this era it just directly transitions into a lot of the big crossover events that were happening at the company in 2003, 2004, Civil War. So many of the cool things that happened in the middle of that decade come right out of this era, like directly out of the creativity and the energy of this era. Yeah, X-Force and the next statics really ties into all that. I wanted to um, just look at the introduction I have the like complete collection. Yes, it's not so even the complete collection because it only it it goes through all of X Force that Milligan wrote, and then the first five issues of Ecstatics. But the run goes on for another twenty issues or so. Um, but in this letter that Peter Milligan writes, his introduction to the original hardcover, he's like. I don't want to write superheroes. I don't like superheroes. There's no reason for me, Peter Milligan, to write superheroes. And then he, he said, you know, so when Marvel editor Axel Alonso suggested that I write X-Force, my immediate response was to laugh. And then when I realized he was serious, laugh again and say, no, never, impossible. And then he goes on to talk about how they basically gave Peter carte blanche to yeah. tell whatever story he wanted. And on, then he understood like, oh, I can actually talk about interesting things i can talk about grief and celebrity and our, yeah. our society and our world and all kinds of things in this bright technicolor you know pop art way with superheroes that there just doesn't really exist at all at that time and then the brilliant stroke of genius whoever thought let's get mike and laura all right oh, it's so perfect to come on it's art. so unbelievably perfect it's a perfect like melding of this kind of Kirby Ditko classicism with like the energy of like a punk rock zine. And like out there, Andy Warhol weird art. It's a real like pop art approach that is so vibrant. It's so energetic. It's so clean to look at. Like you just want to flip the pages you want to see what the next image is the kind of like layers of references that are within the art and then within the text it's a perfect marriage a perfect partnership this series truly feels timeless in such a fascinating way i really truly feel like if i opened this book when we were recording uh, an episode and talking about new comics it just falls perfectly into place it's really incredible and that's not to say that it has anything to do innately with a 2021 sensibility. That's to say that it has to do with no sensibility whatsoever outside of the all reds themselves. That's what makes it so timeless. You know, you're looking at something special, like from the first page and it's a, 
you know, in comics, that's a great, that's a great feeling. Everybody does great work, but there's some kind of synergy that happens when a creative team is just perfect for each other. That is special. And that happened in this book. Yeah. For anybody who's listening, who hasn't read this yet, I would start with X-Force 116 from the original run. It, it sort of closes out that run and then dive right into Ecstatics. For those of you who have done that or who are just like, yeah, let me hear more. Um, we haven't really said what anything this book is about. What is this book? What is Ecstatics? Okay, so we have the X-Force. They are a team of young mutants. They are beloved. They are superstars within the Marvel Universe, uh, within the kind of like pop society of the Marvel Universe. And they go on a raid that is immediately deadly. Almost the entire team dies. We later find out that this was engineered by a coach who's kind of like the coach is the, uh, the one-armed, red-eyed, elderly manager slash actual sideline coach for the team. He calls the shots. He tells them where to go. He decides who is the leader. And Zeitgeist, who was uh, the kind of like teenage leader of the team, together coach and Zeitgeist had looked around and they went, you know what? We need some fresh blood. It's getting kind of stale around here. So let's take on a mission that we understand will be incredibly deadly and that will cause most of the team to be killed so that we can then replenish the team with new blood. And the new people that come in are the anarchist, uh, Tyke Alakar, whose sweat can either melt people or can be like glue. Uh, you go girl, who is a teleporter, who much like Nightcrawler, her teleporting takes a lot out of her. It's exhausting. And so she has turned to substances. And then Mr. Sensitive. How to describe Mr. Sensitive? <laughs> like Daredevil, he has extremely heightened senses. Like he can feel ants moving 10 feet underground through his feet. The act of being alive is so painful for him that he explored martial arts. He explored all these different disciplines so that he could try to control his powers. And eventually uh, Professor X comes on the scene. He builds him a suit that helps him control this. And the story over the first five issues is essentially about who will run the team, the kind of drama of the interpersonal drama of who's going to be the leader and the kind of adventures that they go on take a backseat to a lot of the bickering and the arguing and the stuff that happens in between the missions. And it's super, super fun and super surprising. You never know what will happen next. And some of these characters are just like, you have Fat, who is like, I guess, basically like Eminem. And it's P-H-A-T, but his power is to get really big and, and sort of like absorb. He's weird. It's like Blob, but like not always large. But it takes a lot of effort for him to kind of like compress his body. And then you have Vivisector who's like, imagine if Beast from the X-Men was also like murderous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So many great characters. Dead Girl. And then, of course, I think the character that probably most fans of mutants and uh, Marvel Comics in general might be familiar with is the strange and mysterious dupe who acts as kind of like the cameraman for the team, documenting everything that's going on. The characters, even just the character names. I know. And then so like the, the, the subject matter. I, I mentioned that the art is utterly timeless. The writing is equally as timeless in that way. And beyond that, it's actually ahead of its time in a big way. I'm assuming that the creative team just thought they were tapping into the zeitgeist of the time, whereas they didn't even know how prophetic they were being, how they were oh, tapping I into agree. something that wasn't even barely starting in terms of the reality TV aspects, in terms of the celebrity aspect, in terms of the viewer and being viewed whole dynamic, in terms of the dupe side of things and everything. It's really, really mind-blowing when you get into the details. And I can't stress this enough. It's incredibly funny. Milligan has this very, like, acerbic, very meta worldview that is satirical on the one hand, but also, like, just really brutal in the choices that he makes his characters have to go through. And then he has that kind of very British antenna for class and the way class intersects with 
interpersonal relationships, the way people feel about themselves because they were from a certain background. And that all comes out with Tyke's bio and his backstory in particular. It's so good. And you're exactly right in that the way it explores mutants tracks with the way that mutants are being explored right now in Marvel Comics, and it tracks with the kind of larger metaphor of minorities in an aggressively threatening world, which is that on the one hand, yes, these people are oppressed, they are uh, hated, but also they're beloved and celebrated in this, and it's a weird mix that manifests in this strange kind of very energetic celebrity, and that has not changed. We'll need to get into Ecstatics proper, but there's a couple other things I want to talk about for X-Force. It was Milligan and Allred, and then over the course of those issues, Duncan Fergredo, I believe, comes in for an issue. It's really cool work, but Darwin Cook does a ton of work, a ton of design work. Darwin, probably one of the best storytellers of the early 21st century in comics, sadly no longer with us. And his Marvel work is, you know, sort of just a, a small portion of why he is so incredible. But if you get a chance, anybody listening, get a chance in a lot of the collections, they'll include sketches and artwork that Darwin contributed to the series and seeing some of his issues too. There's just that like classic animation meets the weirdness that Mike Allred and, and Laura were putting out as well is something special, something stunning. I wanted to make sure we address that. Um, and also I wanted to point out the Nuff Said issue. If you read anything of the X-Force <laughs> issues, 123 is the Nuff Said issue. And uh, Nuff Said was a, a line-wide, month-long endeavor where all the creators were tasked with telling a story with no dialogue, no captions, no written words, and it was all to be done through the art and telling it that way. I love those issues, particularly the um, the new X-Men one by Morrison Quietly is one of is a legend. But this one is as well, because Mike Allred and Peter Milligan dig deep into the weirdness that is Dupe. The whole team is hanging out in a like a green room almost, and Dupe sees he has a giant pimple on his head. <laughs> so he pops the pimple, which then causes uh, a vortex and he sucks the entire room inside himself and then he has to like rescue the entire x-force team from what is inside dupe and it is magical <laughs> it's where you really get to appreciate layouts and structure and the way pacing and panels can tell a story and either accelerate a story or put on the brakes a little bit and allow it to breathe it's super cool if you want to like dig into how do comics actually work? How do you actually tell a story like in a nuts and bolts way? It's it's a perfect, perfect issue for that. That issue, I think, that you're describing, Ryan, gets to the heart of something as well. In a way, I guess you could interpret that kind of story as a minimalist endeavor in that there are no words. Whereas, obviously, these characters that we're dealing with, and certainly when we come to ecstatics... It's like a maximalist type of storytelling that is so absurd. It's so weird. But when you really read it, it has so much heart and so much feeling. And it's so personal and meaningful and powerful. It's this kind of thing that really just makes me believe in the power of writing. That's a great point, Tucker, because I think we're talking about the themes. We're talking about like why it works and all this. But Milligan never like looks away from the really tough hard felt moments like even characters that you just met that then die you feel their humanity that they are real and that their deaths even if they happened in a weirdly tragically violent hilarious way there's a tragedy to it there's characters who die in other characters arms where it breaks you up and there is a there's a, a wonderful romance arc that happens over the first several issues that is truly heartbreaking like actually really really sad these characters are so well drawn and you understand what makes them tick where they come from and even a character like fat that seems very kind of like one note humor there is a depth that emerges that is wonderful and is why we read comics you know for that like unexpected depth that all of a sudden emerges yeah, Fat's an interesting character, especially as you get into ecstatics when he comes to terms with his sexuality, he yeah. fully comes out as gay and he's trying to sort of reconcile who he is 
as a mutant, as gay, as part of this team, as all these things and like finding a breakthrough for himself in acceptance. And then there's just that moment of like him and Vivisector being like, yeah, we're both gay. We just aren't attracted to each other. Yeah. It's such a like, duh, obvious thing, but it's yeah. also not a thing that is addressed in superhero comics at all. Yeah. And it's a thing that Milligan has always explored in all of his work and his non-Marvel work, which is a real grounded and emotional and natural depiction of gay and LGBTQ characters that feels really good and really earned. That's part of what makes this an unbelievable run of stories. And I think it's important to mention when it comes to this series, and this is something that you know that I love talking about, is the sociopolitical context in which a book is released, the general cultural milieu from which like the fuel of these kind of books comes from, it's especially powerful when you put it in context of being 2002, in the middle of what is certainly regarded as an era of real fear and worry for a bunch of people. And so having that and being daring in that way is so incredible. And I think it just keeps coming back to this theme of like, there was something in the water at Marvel Comics at the time where it just dared to go there. It dared to make something weird. It dared to make something maybe political, maybe something dark. The real world, everyday stuff that went into the making of these things is so fascinating for those exact reasons. I'm glad you brought that point up, Tucker, and the time frame of the, the sociopolitical aspect of it all. Um, let's go back into the book uh, a little bit. So I think we haven't really explained that 116 is the first issue of X-Force, and it is a complete change. Complete. <laughs> you can't read It's like, it's complete. It's I, <laughs> Creative team, characters, nothing was the same. It just used the, the yeah. title and the numbering. But they ran the course with X-Force, and from a story perspective things changed for that team. One of the main, main characters died and some really tragic, heartbreaking stuff that goes on. And so the book has to shift and the team decides to come up with a new name. I love the last issue of X-Force, the yeah. last panel, Mr. Sensitive. At that point, he's, um, I can't remember if he's the orphan or Mr. Sensitive. Right, right. He's, got, he's kind of going by both the whole time, but it yeah. was, yeah, yeah. Then he then he really goes, leans into the orphan. Yeah, and he's he's like, we are changing our name and our new name is, and then it's just the end. And then like the book ends and then <laughs> ecstatic launches a little bit after that. And it's a similar book, but with a, it takes different tones and it, it's like they're two halves of the same coin. And I really sure. do stress you should read them all together. Like just do it. It's so good. It's really good. It's really good. I can't imagine. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast, you will like this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it occupies this space of, even though I've read it a couple times, it's still shocking to me. And I just have to say, even though, Jason, you made this point before, it's so funny. It's a hilarious book. And it's like, it's it's a pretty stunning piece of work in that way, where it's just something that, I don't know. I, I, I think maybe it's sort of the pithiness that comedy requires sort of is a close sibling to the heart of emotion that can make you cry in the same way. But the ability to, to command both of those things in equal measure is so amazing. And that's like what makes me love Chip Zdarsky. Yeah. He is so funny and he'll write the funniest stuff in the funniest books. You go back and read Howard the Duck and then you see that He's one of the best dramatic writers around. And, you know, yeah. you look at something like Marvel 2-in-1 or uh, obviously his work on Daredevil. You know what I mean? Like there's something about that kind of writer that I just find so appealing, so incredible. And it sort of goes beyond like, oh, it's a dramatic story with some laughs. Somehow it's more closely intertwined than that, which is what really elevates it to something special. Zadarsky and and Nick Spencer are two of my favorites who write in that kind of way where it's at once dramatic, at once this wonderful big superhero tale, but also like super, super, super funny 
and willing to satirize like the genre that it takes place in, I think you could argue that that tone, right, this kind of like self-referential, it's funny too kind of thing, for one, it makes sense why a lot of of late you're seeing a lot of people with a background in improv and comedy who are crossing over into comics to write stuff. All this crazy stuff happens, yes, and what happens next, right? That's what improv is. And then two, you know, the tone of, of MCU movies, that kind of like slightly distilled version of that is part of that magic stew which makes those movies work because it's not only are they great action movies but they are hilarious and they allow their characters to be hilarious yeah so for ecstatics there's a couple of key things that run through the, the five issues one is the introduction of a character named arnie Arnie is a very powerful mutant. If you've ever seen the uh, Twilight Zone about the kid who sort of keeps his town or like his family in his town sort of hostage because he, he can do anything. And when I think of that, I think of like a, a kid who can do anything and he, he's got his, his face is kind of messed up and he's gone through a lot of stuff, but he's this mutant. Um, so it's him. He's super obsessed with X-Force. Yeah, he wants to join the team in the absolute worst way. When we say worst, it, it actually the worst way, like in a way that is clearly unhealthy. Yeah, and it's such a great exploration of fandom, of celebrity culture, of all the stuff going too far. And it's really, it's upsetting. And, and he's just a kid, you know, he's like 17 or something like that. You've got the introduction of O-Force, uh, like <laughs> a, a competing uh, <laughs> mutant team that is you know also based on like reality show that the ecstatics team is really invested in from a fan like they watch the show like what yeah. that guy and so like yeah. this o-force team who is trying to steal the spotlight from ecstatics uh some other characters sort of coming to the fore there's a whole bunch of things going on here in this five issues of ecstatics that you know i step back and i think if you haven't read x-force it's still really friggin' good but man, you do get a lot more from the background issues. I uh, completely agree. And then, you know, some of the, the new characters that come in, Dead Girl, Venus de Milo, with Ecstatics, are so original and so wacky, but also, again, Milligan's ability to bring out the humanity in all these characters is absolutely on display everywhere. Uh, you mentioned Arnie and the way that unfolds. That arc breaks your heart, man. That is a crushing story that is so good. I mean, when I engage with story, whether it be comic books, TV, movies, whatever, in a weird, like, sadomasochistic way, I want to get my ass kicked. You know, I want to feel something, and Exatics does that. And that that arc in particular is uh, so brutal. And, and you mentioned fandom and stuff. I love—that's one of my favorite things that Marvel does when they do it is, like, explore this idea of, you know, because obviously fandom is central to the company and the stories they tell. And when they explore it in that way, it is always interesting. You know, it's, it'll never get old to me that the collector, you know, is a guy who is obsessed with collecting stuff— uh, which is exactly like what <laughs> I do and what you do and what many people who love Marvel Comics do. And they took that and distilled that into this really dark and troubling, but also really interesting person called the collector. And I just, it's, it's a thing that I love that Marvel does when they do it. That's the other thing that I wish I had a better handle on because I feel like there's, different pieces of media that are that are exploring that kind of question right around this time and i wonder what it was like that again just in the zeitgeist in the waves of of the things that people are thinking about and certain certainly when it comes to artists because like i don't know like the incredibles also came out around this time and that's a whole movie about those kind of things about fandom about obsession about celebrity i wonder if there are some some greater like touchstones that really stand out in that era or if it's just a matter of you know these sort of like pop culture things have been in the conversation long enough that people started to be reflective of them i don't really know i mean this is like a whole subject matter that is like literature worthy i'm sure there's books about this kind of thing 
I think that if, and now I'm just like going off the top of my head, but if I think I, if I had to guess what it was, I think it was like the rise of the internet and the, and the kind of like anxieties around the way we were using it, that we were talking about. There's that like great panel in uh, Ultimate X-Men where Beast is getting like catfished by uh, someone over the internet and it is like steadily giving up like all the secrets that the team has, you know, and the way the internet and the way kind of like handheld media devices, like at this time it's it's video recorders, right? But eventually it would be cell phones, have influenced our culture. I think a lot of the anxieties about that are kind of like tied up in not just like these stories, but like, you know, The Truman Show, other movies and stories that were coming out at this time. And at the same time, like those are still issues that we deal with right now. You know, the way that the internet warps our life the way that it has the potential to make anybody with a cell phone a celebrity in this really weird, focused, micro-celebrity way. Like, that's the world we live in right now where a person can be famous, like truly famous, but it's all contained in these very, very tight spheres where very little, like, awareness of that fame leaks outside of those spheres. And all that kind of stuff was, like, bubbling up at the time that Ecstatics was coming out, at the time a lot of, you know, the Ultimate Universe stuff was happening. And it's reflected in different ways, I think, in that. If I had to guess what part of what you're talking about, Tucker, is it, it would be that. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at the covers to the rest of Ecstatics. After this run, after the issues that, you know, we sort of read, and I'm like, man, if I didn't have a million other things, I just want to keep reading. Because <laughs> I just, you know, remembering these stories and what's going on and like how it gets even wilder. And then they, by the end of the run, it's like ecstatics versus the Avengers. And Oh my God. (laughs) They just, yeah, there's some really wonderful, weird comics in here. This is the most vertigo esque Marvel superhero book among the most vertigo esque Marvel superhero books. I think of a book that I someday want us to cover on this, which is, uh, Havoc and Wolverine meltdown, oh, which my is God. just so weird looking. Sankowitz, baby, the the art is like unreal. I remember being now. I'm going to gush about that for just a second, <laughs> but uh, there is, you know, we love it. We love it when our guy Wolverine gets melted down to the bones, and that <laughs> happens in that series. And it is, you know, Sankowitz's art is like you just are blown away. And it is a super, super strange, almost like hallucinatory book. Mm. It's, it's amazing. I, I think, I, I don't know. We might have to have you back on just because I don't know anybody else who loves <laughs> oh, man, it I as much as, yeah. Jason is going back I to have, his bookshelf right now. I, I had two of the issues on my shelf. And I couldn't find the other two, but I had the collection. There it is. Yeah. You uh, pulled yeah. it out. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. It's so good. Yeah. There's so many great books. Um, this one is, like if you're if you're sort of a listener and a reader who's like, I want something different. Yes, this is perfect. If you're someone who's just like, I want something big and fun superhero stuff with maybe some emotional grist to it. This is perfect. It's such a great run of books. Yeah. If you're thinking, um, oh, if if you are constantly thinking to yourself, and this is a kind of like existential question for the comic fan everywhere, how do I jump in? Like, what can I jump in here or what? You can jump in here. You can jump in right here. You don't have to know anything about anything that's ever happened. If you know what was going on in the greater Marvel universe at this time, it will only add to your enjoyment of this. But you don't have to know anything. You can just come in. Yeah. All of these things are so awesome. And it's funny you mentioned these existential questions, Jason, um, because I think sometimes when we read great books, we get immediately into such esoterica, such detail, and that's how we like express our love for these. I think with this whole conversation, it's all been such big, broad level conversation because it's really, really hard to to capture what's so great about that. It's so, it's such an enormous achievement. It's such an enormous feat, ecstatics, that it's demanding of those big questions. It's demanding of like these big, broad analyses of these kind of, of the work that was put into it because it's just that good. Sometimes you just got to go there. Yeah, it feels like, uh, you know how they'll, they'll say certain comics are like a, a comics comic. Mm. Like those, that's the, that's the comedian that the comics look to. This is like a 
comics fans comic. <laughs> you know, like this is not to say that you can't, as a casual fan, come in and pick this up and really enjoy it. But it is really for if you are steeped in this stuff, and not just Marvel comics, but the kind of tropes and images and iconography of like of the medium in general, whether it be like EC horror comics, classic anything, you know, classic DC, classic Marvel, you will love this because it is it calls on all of that stuff in a super, super fun, funny, heartbreaking way. Amen. Jason, I feel like we're gonna have to tag you in every couple months. Yeah, I love it. Bring more, it back. Yeah. Just to to <laughs> to talk about books, get passionate, get excited, go on great tangents, bring up other books that make us want to talk about those books. Hell yeah! Thank you for having <laughs> me. This was a delight. Our pleasure. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, dude. Big thanks once again to Jason, who is a ding dang delight. We had a blast talking with him here. Honestly, Tucker. If one of us had to take a break and our, our friend Alana wasn't around to mm-hmm. back us up, who is also terrific here on Marvel's pull list, I would be giving Jason a call. Are you kidding me? That's like, yeah, hell yeah. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Like instant pull list Hall of Famer, uh, Jason. Had so much fun. Indeed. All right, that wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel Fullest was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jasmine Estrada, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Polis audio development manager, and he also once tried out to be a member of uh, X-Force and Ecstatics. He was called the Leathery Belly Button, and um, <laughs> he died. He died. Very, very not tragically. It was it was actually pretty beautiful. Good you, Brad. Way to go, Brad. Rest in peace. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.